Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah, it's, there's easy ones like Merry Christmas and Happy Easter, right? You just say it right back. What do you say on Palm Sunday? It's a little strange. Happy, perhaps you should say Blessed Palm Sunday. Well, we have a great word, actually, that we use in the service, but we don't really say uh, to greet people. It's Hosanna, right? Hosanna. And that's one that I don't think we have a super great grasp on what it means, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the 28th of March, 2021. As I reflected on this message and looked at some, uh, you know, some brothers in, in Christ who are preachers and, and in the ministry who preached on this message in the past, I noticed that some of the messages from last year had some interesting notes. We were kind of fully into the uncertainty of COVID last year at this time where we were starting to do things a little differently in the church. Our preaching reflected that. And everyone, a lot of people, myself, I think included, kind of had this image in our mind, and you could hear it in our preaching, that they were like, we just need to remain strong. This dark day, these dark days that we're in will be will be shining lights, you know, in the three to four weeks that it takes for us to get out of masks again and and quit social distancing. Just be patient with us. And I, I kind of, you know, shake my head, and you do too, and scoff at that, that well, here we are a year later, and I'm not really sure we can feel confident that three or four months from now we'll be back to normal. We live in interesting times for sure. We live in uncertain times for certain. And we know that there are many trials, many tribulations, and a lot of darkness in people's lives these days. One of the, the unspoken tragedies of these times or the impact that, are being, that is being endured by, by relationships in people's lives that is causing stress and strain in, in marriages and in uh, family members and friends, just not being able to live the normal life amongst people. And so we, we kind of have this, this image that there should be something different right now, and we kind of hope and we kind of pray that perhaps there'll be something new that goes on. And that's what we, we look to when we see Palm Sunday happening. We, see, we know that this kind of unease, this societal tension, was certainly something that was being felt by the people in Jerusalem during these days, during the days of our text today from John. We know that the people of Israel, the people in the city of Jerusalem, they were there for the Passover, but there was kind of this apprehension about them as they looked around. They knew that things were not how they should be. And so they had a phrase that they used to kind of express that out into the universe, if you will. They said, Hosanna. And Hosanna is a simple word. It just means save with an exclamation point at the end of it. Save. Save us. Save me. Save me. And that's what the people were crying out during these days of Palm Sunday. On this particular day when Jesus arrived, they had something in mind. We call it the triumphal entry. And we kind of hear that and we say, well, of course, it's the triumphal entry. We hear about that every single year on Palm Sunday. But for the people in Jerusalem, 
they would have been only too familiar with this idea of a triumphal entry. They wouldn't have seen a Messiah come into the city of Jerusalem like we know it today. Instead, what they would have seen is a picture like a Roman triumph, like this picture. This is a depiction of a Roman triumph. The word triumphant or triumph actually comes from this occasion. A triumph wasn't a an adjective describing a person who won. It was instead a noun describing an event which took place in the city of Rome as a conquering hero returned from his campaign to show off his victory, to show off his prestige and his success and the honor that was due to him because of his victory. And it was a massive ordeal. We actually have a lot of historians who record these for us, so we have a good idea today what they looked like. There were over 320 triumphs recorded by historians that we know of. So it was a fairly common event, and the people in Jerusalem would have been probably pretty familiar with how it went. This is how it would go. The conquering hero would return home, and he would wait outside the city gates. He wasn't allowed into the city until the Senate of Rome said, you can come in. And when he got permission to come in, the senators would actually lead the procession into the city through the ceremonial triumphant gates that were only ever used to honor a conquering hero, a conquering hero nor, known in, in Latin as an imperator, which is where the imperial name comes from, conquering hero. And so the conquering hero would be led in by the senators and by the bureaucrats and the governing officials of the city of Rome so that people could see them as they went by and vote for me. Then following them would be the vanquished, the military leaders that the, that the triumphant conqueror had defeated in battle, now in chains, probably wearing sackcloth and looking rather despondent probably knowing that their time on this earth was short. And the military and, and political leaders of the nation that was conquered would be in procession, in shame, to build up the conquering hero. And then behind them would be the spoils of war, and, and all of the gold, and the silver, and the artwork, and the pottery, and the precious cloth, and the trade goods that were were captured, and the livestock that were captured in this great mighty conquest would be paraded in front of all of the people. And then behind that would be, up on a chariot, pulled by four white horses, the Imperator himself. So you get to see his achievements building up, and then bam, here he is in all of his glory, arrayed in purple, the imperial cloth color, adorned with threaded gold, literal gold, sewed into the fabric. Adorned on the chariot would be images of his conquests and of the approval of the Roman gods right there on his automobile. But there's an interesting note about somebody else who would be closest to the imperator. There was actually a slave with him. And the slave had an interesting responsibility. It's kind of peculiar, but he would stand behind the, the conquering hero and whisper into his ear the word respice, respice, which means remember or look back, remember. And he was reminding the, the emperor every five seconds or so that he was not a god. He was a mere mortal. 
because everyone around him was elevating him so much and making him out to be so lauded and honored that he might consider himself to be a god amongst men. And so a lowly slave was there to remind him he was mortal. That's how elevated these, these triumphant heroes would be. Then behind the imperator would be his other generals and, and lieutenants and his sons who fought in the military with him. Then behind them would be the centurions and the lowly foot soldiers, and that would conclude the parade. They would march through the city, through the gates. They would touch at important parts in the city. They would end their day at a temple to the, to the Roman gods. They would sacrifice bulls, have a mighty parade and a party. And that was a triumph. It was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal, maybe twice-in-a-lifetime kind of deal, depending on how many wars were going on. But man, they had a big party, and there was no question at all in the minds of the people who had the power, who was worthy of honor, who was the imperator. A triumph. And so we see today perhaps this expectation in the minds of the people of Israel. It would have been their own version of this, but it would have been something akin to this. If they were expecting the Messiah, if they were expecting a king, they would have expected Jesus to ride in, perhaps not on a chariot, but on a white horse. Perhaps not, uh, you know, completely decked out in purple gold with, with laurels on their, on his head and a, and a, and a staff, but at least something to show the pomp and circumstance of the occasion, of the arrival of the king. But here is what Jesus came in to the city in, wearing his normal clothing, riding on a donkey. What a strange display this would have been for the people who expected grandeur who were looking to Jesus for something mighty to showcase his, his authority, his power, the honor that was due to him. They expected him to come in as a conquering hero to drive out the Romans, to reestablish the kingdom to Israel. And so when they saw Jesus coming, and they sat in their current situation in life and saw the oppression of the Romans they saw the normal worries of life and sickness. They saw the, the political persecution that was being endured on all sides and the, and the military dictatorship which had been set up in their city and their lack of ability to proclaim God as, as sovereign and holy because of the, the pressures, religious pressures of the Romans. They said to Jesus, Hosanna! Hosanna! And Hosanna, as we've already said before, means... Save us. They're crying out to the conquering hero, come on, we're ready for you. Save us. These Romans have been here too long. My family has been divided too long. My life has been under too intense a pressure for too long. Save me. Save us. And they cry out for Jesus, Messiah, save us. And they're looking to Jesus to be their king. They're looking to Jesus to be the Lord, the master who can deliver to them all the things that they want. They're looking to Jesus to be the Messiah of their grandest desires. And unfortunately for them, Jesus shows up in a different way. Riding on a donkey. 
How many times do we cry out, Hosanna, maybe not in, our, in the words Hosanna, but how many times do we cry out, save me? Maybe we don't cry out verbally, but we certainly cry out in our heart of hearts during life's most trying times. During the darkest days of our lives, we certainly cry out in our mind and in our heart and our soul, save me from this. I don't like this suffering. I don't like this persecution. I don't like the darkness in this world. Save us from it. How many times do we look for a Messiah who looks like this? A conquering hero laden in gold. A conquering hero who overcomes all life's problems so that we can take the easy road. How many times do we call out for Jesus to save us because something's wrong in our life? Our job isn't going the way we thought it would. Our family members have a lot of tension right now. The society we live in seems to be falling apart. Our nation is in political unrest. This illness that we continue to contend with day after day after day, it's just getting old. Save us. Well, we have a Messiah who comes in not looking anything like this. We have a Messiah who instead sees that there are many problems in the world, And he won't save us from them. But instead, what he has done on Palm Sunday is he has said, I have come to save you from a bigger problem. I see the the concerns of your mind and of your heart and your desires, but I'm not going to give you the Messiah that you want. Instead, I'm going to give you the Messiah that you need. Because the desires of our heart and our mind and the thoughts that are constantly being thought by us are not the ones that are being thought about by Jesus. Jesus looks at you and me and he doesn't see these these petty woes that seem to plague us every day. Instead, he sees the sin problem that is at the very crossroads of our life. He sees that without deliverance from sin, humanity in itself is doomed. And so Jesus arrives on a donkey, showcasing his humility and flying directly against the expectations of the people there who are ready to be saved from all life's problems. Instead, when Jesus hears the word Hosanna, he hears people crying out, save us, and he knows that they need saving. He knew that the people there on Palm Sunday needed saving before he even arrived. He knew the people there deserved, needed saving when he was born and brought down into the flesh as an infant child. He knew that they needed saving when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden. He knew that they needed saving when God promised the Messiah to come into the world to crush the head of the serpent so that we might be delivered from our sin guilt. Jesus knows our need for a Savior, so when we cry out, Hosanna, we are pleading for him to save us, and even though we may not mean exactly what we need saving from, Jesus knows that we need saving from our sin. And so as he approaches the crossroads of suffering and turning back, there is no question in his mind whatsoever what he's going to do. He barrels headlong towards suffering. With no question. He says, this is what I'm here to do. 
I'm here to march into the city humble and riding on a donkey to show you I'm not the Messiah you want. I'm the Messiah you need. I am the one who will save you from your sin. And so as we today cry out, Hosanna, I want to invite you to take your palm branch. We're going to do this. Grab your palm branch, and as I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, let's call out Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. What are we crying out? Save us. And Jesus, as he marches headlong into suffering, says, yes, I will save you. Yes, I will save you from your sin. As he marches to the cross and takes it up, as he is nailed to the cross, he has saved us. You know how I know? Because when he finished his march, when he finished his walk, when we cried out, Lord, save us, his answer to you and to me is, it is finished. It is accomplished. My salvation for you is done. And that's the hope that we cling to during Holy Week. That's what we look to as we walk to the cross. As we meet that crossroads of suffering and turning back, we trust in our Savior, who when we cried out to him to save us, said, it is finished. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, O God that you have called us today into your house to hear your word. I pray, O oh God, that as you have saved us, we might continue each day to cry out Hosanna to you and call on your name as our Savior. We thank you for your, your ultimate gift of your own life that you gave freely for us. As we go our separate ways, O oh God, I pray that you would continue to help us to follow you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.